Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Anne Friedman. <laughs> and I'm Aminatu So. On this week's agenda, free dongin. Is it a thing? Do we like it? Going natural, nudism, and other things we're not sure we should take advantage of. This week in menstruation, we talk about natural sponges and other Etsy-sold menstruation devices. The female Viagra on its way to maybe widespread use. And White People, a new documentary and also a phenomenon in our daily lives. We got a long email about free boobin, which seems still relevant as it is still summer. Oh my god, I am definitely free boobin right now. That was like the first thing on the agenda today. <laughs> I'm not free boobin, but I'm like very non-supportive shelf brawn, and I feel like that's the next best thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little security blanket for you. Totally. Boobs. It's just like a little extra band of fabric that's like... You know, it's it's the next best thing to free boobin would be an incredible logo for like a very chill bra. Okay, so we got this email regarding free boobin. <laughs> it says, bravo for discussing free boobin. Discussing free boobin. I dropped that G on, of my own accord. As a 34 triple D woman, I only ditched the bra Whoa. at bedtime, but I so wish I could go braless more often. After nursing babies and lots of 10K runs, my girls have been low-hanging fruit for some time now. (laughs) They remind me of my first boobs I ever saw when I was eight years old. Those belong to Mrs. Holmstead, my art teacher, interlude about Mrs. Holmstead's boobs. Um, (laughs) And then she writes, I feel like if we're going to talk about free boobin and women feeling uncomfortable about it, we should also talk about free dickin. So many guys don't wear underwear and their junk is on display and it seems perfectly normal. Don't get me wrong, this does not bother me. In fact, I will tell you, once I was watching Lester Holt. Do you know who Lester Holt is? Anne. (laughs) I had to look it up. That is crazy. I know who Lester Holt is because he's a black man who finally got the job that he deserves. I had to Google him. (laughs) Anyway, so she says parenthetically, who I think is a very handsome man. And I swear he was not wearing underwear beneath his very tailored dress pants. (laughs) (laughs) This is making me so uncomfortable. Lester Holt is like our successful uncle. This is not cool. It's just, she says, it's just this feels like a double standard. When a woman with imperfect boobs read not fake goes braless, they're subject to to a flapjack woman label. (laughs) This is unfair. So basically, this is like a, a call for, for I mean, I don't like a call, it as a call to like judge, you know, other types of free swinging genitalia. But I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the topic of free dongin. No, I'm I'm not down for like, I am not down for like manufactured outrage over people being comfortable. Also, now all I'm thinking about is like Lester Holt not wearing underwear and it's making me very uncomfortable. So. I feel personally attacked by this email. Um, 
remember how uh what's his name uh, don draper there was that whole yes. controversy about how he, like you can always see the outline of his dick through his clothes which i'm just like excuse me you're putting him in like tight polyester 60s clothes like let the man like breathe but I love, like, how... Abs- but wasn't there also some incident in the wild where it was, like, very visible? Yeah, he, you know, like, he's a, he's a big dude. Like, <laughs> I get it. But I loved how, like, upset <laughs> he was about it. Because people were making all these jokes, you know, online. And then, like, finally, I think somebody asked him. And he was just like, fuck you, world. And I was like, yes, that is the appropriate right. way to react when people talk about your body to your face. Like, that's crazy. Totally. But also, it's worth noting that the sort of prevailing style in men's undergarments is not for them to wear a restrictive cup at all times around their jaw. I don't understand, like, male underwear. It feels to me like it is, it, like, it's crazy. Like, whenever I see dudes in tight pants, I'm always like, I don't know how you're doing that, but God bless. You know what I do love about much male underwear not all of it instead of a seam up the butt it has like seams on either side so it doesn't wedge up there do you know what i'm talking about yeah no the vents and my period underwear is men's underwear right (laughs) like it's all i wear it makes me feel so secure and happy i just love those like that not up the butt seam it's great it's like after years of wearing like fruit of the loom granny panties, I like invested in some men's like underwear and I will tell you it's been it's just like very comforting and great. Oh, great. Um, um this is man, Lester Holt, it's making me so uncomfortable. I can't I'm just like no, I refuse to believe this narrative. Maybe everyone has had a moment with some I mean it might not be Lester Holt. I think you can substitute in your head like John Hamm or someone else who <laughs> you have had a Google moment about their free dongin or perceived free dongin. I know. And I don't think that there's actually a double standard when it comes to this. I think that like right. sometimes you're just your clothes are too tailored or are ill fitting and it's <laughs> fine. Right. Oh man, this so, is reminding me that I have an email in my inbox that's like for some like nude camp junket, and I'm like forty nine percent considering saying yes to it. Wait, so it's a junket? Like they want to convince you? Yeah, to, like, they're just like naturism. Naturism is like big. <laughs> we want like influencers, and I'm like, I saw the pictures of the place, and I'm like, this place is nice. I'm like, I could go make it to this place. That's cool for like a couple here's, of days here's vacation. What I don't get about nudists aren't they just cold all the time i mean yes and <laughs> yes and no. i like maybe how you're I'll answering invest- in the first maybe person. i'll investigate for maybe i'll investigate for call your girlfriend please do because i feel like i would just be cold all the time even i mean maybe maybe in the dead of summer not so much but for most of the year i mean okay so there there are some like they sent out a packet Maybe I can try to pull it up and they like tell you. So like one thing that is I've realized through the the literature for this is that it is very impolite not to carry around a towel if you are a nudist. You can't just like sit. Oh, right. People are like, excuse me, that is my nice furniture. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. You don't want secondhand non-consensual genital contact visa, like a visa via soap. Exactly. Like people don't want to see like also your, your like sweat everywhere. Um, and I don't know. This also says you can like wear a sarong, I guess, if you want. It's like you get naked if you want to be naked. 
but you can't okay. like wear full clothes that makes people uncomfortable they're like really trying to tamper down on the like hookup culture of it this is like for real it's a family event and i'm like mm, i'm skeptical but this campground looks really nice so maybe who knows like for children as yeah well. they're just like everybody is welcome because i mean it's like a it's a <laughs> lifestyle not all i'm thinking is about the rap style lifestyle the rap song lifestyle um yeah i guess so i love how they've like turned me into a shill for nudism in <laughs> one email but it's the least annoying pr email i've gotten in like months and i was like oh this They'd person like, is hey, try nudism yeah i was like hey this person is really nice um so like who knows shout out sheila um, <laughs> so good Good PR work, Sheila. I know. I just, like, imagine <laughs> Sheila to be, like, a very classy older lady who's, like, please come right. please come be an influencer for, for naked things. And I'm, like, I, like, I will look into this. She made a good choice in emailing you. You are gettable. <laughs> I mean, I would be, like, I would have been, like, delete immediately. I'm just really like, down like... for, like, free fancy vacations. And I won't lie. Right. I just, it's not the cause she could have been emailing me about other things. This place just looks really nice. And I was like, man, maybe there will be other nice people there, but mostly I'll get like a free vacation out of this. Like I said, 49% considering it. So it's still a no for now. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I'll do some more okay. research. We'll do a check-in on like what percentage you're at next oh time. Oh my God, how terrifying. I mean, you got to do it soon before it starts getting cold, man. This is what I'm saying. July and August are maybe the only time I would even consider it. In most of the country. Okay, I'll let you know. Sheila, if you listen to oh Call God. Your Girlfriend, just like pitch me harder. <laughs> this is a challenge. <laughs> it is a challenge. Like, maybe, and if you saw how nice maybe this Sheila's place was, bestie. I'm pretty sure you would consider it too. So many outdoor showers, come on. I mean, I do love an outdoor shower. Why is the outdoor shower feel so luxurious when really it's not? It's like the opposite. I feel like my richest person at the outdoor shower in Esalen, like which I like basically part time live at now. So let me tell you, it's just the best. (laughs) Yeah. Anywhere. I mean, I'm not even discriminating about outdoor showers. It's like it's really just a spigot outside a building and it still feels luxurious. It's like outdoor living in general feels luxurious. Uh, Rich people have everything. It's true. I'm gonna look into this. It's true. I just I just put a picnic table on my back patio so it's now usable space and that feels luxurious. Oh my god. So good. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't take much. Did a lot of shit just live this here lifestyle. Can't skate from the bottom to the top of my lifestyle. What's the other update we have this week? Did you see that, like, natural spot? Like, we're prophets on Call Your Girlfriend. One, like, <laughs> there was this feature on Mashable about natural menstrual sponges, and I screamed. I couldn't even read the whole thing because I was too busy screaming. Okay, here's what I don't get. In the photo, they look spiny. They look so rough. Like, I would not want to put that anywhere inside my They body. look like loofahs. It's like putting a little loofah in your I, like, vagina. do not need that exfoliated i yeah i'm just like this is a part of my body that i don't need exfoliated 
Also, because I didn't read the review because I'm a monster, there's also... What are the oils that come with the I don't know. I, like, didn't go super deep on this. I did not delve in. I, I just... I just, like, got terrified. I was like, I'm sorry. No. Also, I feel like I would consider a diva cup before I put, like, an actual sponge in my (laughs) vagina. And since that didn't work for me, I don't think so. Do you boil the sponge? Uh, Also, great sentence. In 1980, the University of Iowa Laboratory found traces of fun stuff like sand, grit, bacteria, and various other materials in 12 menstrual sea sponges. Delete. Oh, shout out to the University of Iowa for doing the Lord's work on uh, natural menstrual products and testing. Oh my god. It's like I look at this, like my body just like shrivels up. I can't handle okay, it. Okay, now I'm looking at this as well and apparently it gets quote, very soft and malleable. <laughs> oh, also pause. They're advocating buying this on Etsy. You know I love Etsy as a platform, but I am not putting anything in my vagina that comes from, like, an artisanal, like, shop. Like, no thank you. I'm sure there are, like, all kinds of artisanal things for your vagina on Etsy. I'm sure that's a whole sub subcategory. Yeah, and they're not fucking FDA approved, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> People are being reckless with their vaginas out here. And I, I feel like given my track record for replacing kitchen sponges, which is not as bad as some roommates I've had in the past, but is not anything I'm proud of, any kind of sponge-based contraceptive or menstrual, I'm just a little mm, not into. I've been watching a lot of like period dramas right now, and it's anytime anybody has sex, this is all I can think of. I'm just like, what are you doing for contraception? What are you doing for menstruation? You live in the worst time in the world. Like, stop this. And this just seems to me like something like sponges, like shit that like people in medieval ages put in their bodies because we hadn't invented tampons yet. Like, well, also all medieval sex, clearly withdrawal method, right? Like, you're not <laughs> contraceptively speaking. <laughs> Oof, not according to Hollywood. <laughs> Maybe they just cut away. It's like, get out of there, get out of there, get out of there. Now. <laughs> uh, like it's so it always starts looking so sexy and then by the end of it, like I'm having like I'm in hives. I'm just like, oh no, what are you gonna do? They haven't invented Planned Parenthood yet. <laughs> it's so stressful. It's the dark ages, actually the dark ages. I know, I feel like I'm living in the Dark Ages. I can't even process what was fully happening before now. This is crazy. Anyway, long story short, like, Etsy, eco sea sponges, I, like, proceed with caution. I feel like those, these details, speaking of the, of, like, the Dark Ages, I think about us sometimes as, like, old ladies, and we're going to be, like, the options for contraception were these six unappealing things. And that's all we had in my day. And you're so lucky to have a million more options. I really, really hope that's how it goes down. Like you're so lucky. You don't have to consider Etsy to purchase alternative menstrual products. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my, like people are crazy. You cannot buy things that go inside your body on Etsy. I mean, I think, like a smudge stick, yes. <laughs> but like this, this is too Right, far. like you can cleanse your workspace or something, but like not your vagina with products from Etsy. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, you know, buy a fancy candle. But the minute it says like insert, like body, inside a body cavity, like step away. Right. 
Um, yeah, our government does not have a good track record of taking care of us, but like. You know, sometimes you just got to look at the FDA and say, please help me help myself because this is not So speaking of press releases, I have been on all kinds of lists for um, people both pro and against Flib and Sarin, which is like the the, what is being or attempted to be passed by the FDA as a sort of female Viagra. Um, I don't know who is spending the money on both sides of this PR campaign, but I get like an email a week from each side of this, of this debate. Whoa. Yeah. And it's like, that is, that's crazy. It it, it is. And it isn't. It's one of those things where I, I'm like, okay, cool. If it helps some women, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad it's out there, but also, you know, FDA, not an awesome track record for thoroughly vetting, um, products and drugs that relate to women's health um, or vetting them too thoroughly if they seem political. I actually am, am like, hmm, it seems like the science is kind of dubious, but I also don't know how to feel about it. I guess I'm not reading my press releases closely enough or one of them needs to hire Sheila immediately. But <laughs> let me tell you, Sheila will make you 49% closer <laughs> to, being to being on female Viagra. <laughs> Yeah. Has it, has the, uh, what is it called? Flibenserin? Has it been approved by the FDA yet? I think it has made it through. Is that what the fight is? Or is, or is it that they. It's, like, it's made it through some know. of the major hurdles. So the FDA previously rejected the female libido pill, in fact, twice since 2010, because uh, it was concerned about side effects. But women who took the drug reported quote, experiencing between one half and one more satisfying sexual event per month. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Calling it a sexual event, just like... <laughs> it's like that was a 4.5 on the that Richter really takes scale. takes the cake for me. Sexual event. <laughs> or no, just tremors, not a full I sexual event. I guess like event. one... Se- one sexual event is better than no sexual event if you want sexual events, I guess. But this <laughs> this is this makes me sad. Right. So I don't know. It's interesting because like both sides are kind of framing it obviously in in terms of feminism. I mean, one side is like men have had Viagra forever. Why shouldn't women have like you know a sexual aid alternative that's over the counter to increase libido? The other side is like, um, this is totally unproven. Women are not responsive to this. And it has a lot of side effects. Okay. Somebody, as long as they're studying it, I'm like down. I still remember the like when Viagra, the male Viagra came on market, the male Viagra lol. When <laughs> Viagra came on market, the Time magazine cover for it. And how my like mom wouldn't let us read it. Oh my god! <laughs> came to the house and she like threw she like threw it away. She was like, "This is trash. she's like you can't read about and old penises, I, right?" And I like still fished it out and tried to figure out what it was. And I just like could not. I was like, "I don't understand. I don't understand what's going on here." If you want a good laugh, you should Yahoo Answers like, "Can women take Viagra?" And it's always <laughs> like at your own risk. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, oh my god, I don't know. It's it's hard. I think that this is a real thing, and this is like the part of me that I am obviously very, very pro hormonal contraception and pro the full schedule of vaccines. But like when I think about the shit the FDA has pulled in the past, and about the way the medical establishment has generally treated things that involve women's health, I sort of get you know 
health feminist objections to this stuff. Not that I agree with it, but I'm like, I understand. I, I know. I know. I feel the same way about you, you know, but the alternative is like getting like loose bits of sea sponge stuck in your cervix <laughs> or like, you know, Berkeley moms telling you what to do or yeah. Jim Carrey, like telling you about right. Science. Like Etsy healthcare. Like, I, yeah. Artisanal like, better healthcare. The devil that you know. Right. Yeah. It's like better the devil that you know on this case. Ugh, I hate it when I have to defend the government. I know. But, like, no, I mean, I'm with you. I definitely come down on the side of like, the FDA approval process, even though I know it's completely corrupted by big pharma and all of that stuff. Yeah. Also, I know some like rad ladies that work at the FDA. Right. So, you know, I'm just like, we're in good hands. <laughs> it's just sometimes, you know, there's like massive fuck ups, but it's all from a place of love. I also want to know where all of the journalists writing about this find women who have taken the drug and say that it helps them. I swear to God, it's like that one PR email that I never open where they're like, we will introduce you to like the one woman who has taken this and experienced. Yeah, it's like, how does, yeah, it's like, how does that work even that somebody would say, yes, please bypass all of my HIPAA rights and talk about my my medical self. It feels really slimy sometimes to me, like getting PR emails about like medical things. I can't handle it. Well, and then it's also... There's like a ton of money in that stuff. Right. And then you know how it happens where even if you are a somewhat credible journalist who doesn't just print the press release, which like happens, they will totally be like, oh, we'll set you up with a source. We'll set you up with a woman who's taken this and really wants it to be legal. We'll set you up with a doctor who did the study that says it's safe. It's kind of like there are degrees of easy reporting that you can do with this stuff. And I am definitely not well-versed enough in the intricacies of like the FDA approval process to know how to like read the articles about the drug and like really critique oh okay like this makes sense like you know this stage in the process yeah. means it's probably safe versus I don't know how about this if I go to nude camp you have to try um pink Viagra oh my god and deal we, <laughs> we can report back you can report back about all of the um sexual events was that was that what it was oh my god it was one <laughs> to one half more sexual events per month <laughs> Okay. Oh my God. Um, I also need to do, I feel like I need a control test where like one month it's female Viagra and the next month it's just like two extra glasses of wine. (laughs) Right. You're like, like, hi, like I had two gin and tonics. Here's what happened. Right. Exactly. Like, and the effects were similar to one female Viagra. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm just full body shivers right now. I can't handle any of this. (laughs) Oh my god, now I have to email the PR person. If you go to nude camp, I have to like dig up those emails and email the PR person and be like, can I take it? Slash get a fake prescription. Listen to your body. See how you feel. Right. (laughs) And then we'll get there eventually. In the meantime, I'll be like working on my libido with alcohol and marijuana. The classic ways. Right? You're just like the classic the classic seduction. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
So anyway, we watched the White People documentary done by Jose Antonio Vargas. It's part of this, like, overall MTV campaign that whose name I can't remember. I keep calling it Think Different. <laughs> That's it's, it's called Look Different, but close. <laughs> it's, like, some crazy... They're just, like, we're, like, pandering to millennials right now. And this was the race segment. I think it's, like, 40 minutes, and it's interviews that are, like, intersped with portraits of, like, specific white people and what's going on in their, like, white millennials and what's going on in their lives. Specifically white millennials who are in regular contact with people who are not white, which, let's be real, is not all white millennials. (laughs) Yes. Like, he specifically chooses, like, a white guy who goes to a historically black college and white teachers on a uh, Oglala Sioux reservation and white people who are not just hanging out with other white people. Yeah. I have seen generally positive reviews for this, which I guess is like good. You know, it's like branded as a conversation. I'm making the biggest air quotes right now. I feel like I've seen mixed reviews. About I feel like race. I've seen some pretty negative reviews. Really? I've mostly seen people are just like, oh, it's good that we're doing this, but also. Yeah, like I haven't really looked hard. Personally, for me, I was like, great, I'm glad that this exists. But also I'm like, then what? (laughs) Right. Like one, I don't think that it's as like groundbreaking as people think it is. It's these kinds of like campus style race conversations have been going on forever. Peggy McIntosh is the grandmother of doing these kinds of conversations. And then Tim Wise I personally have like participated in them and facilitated all of them. I think that if you go to like a decent college, you will be exposed to like this kind of stuff. So on the, you know, like the groundbreaking aspect of it is very like yawn. But I think that what was more interesting to me is like who actually is the audience for this product because it didn't speak to me at all, which is like fine. Right. But it was still, there were still aspects of it that I found were really surprising. It's, it's just not much time. It's just like not enough time. Even, right. It's like, let's talk about race in 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I mean, it's also so weird. I mean, so I watched it. I went to um, a screening of it here in LA. So I watched it all the way through without commercials or anything. It was just kind of like, you know, fade to the title screen and then right back in. And then I watched the first half of it again online with the commercial breaks and it's just mm-hmm. so strange to be sort of having what is like should be a pretty serious conversation or like a pretty, if not like heavy, at least like meaningful conversation interspersed with fiat ads. <laughs> I don't know. Like I have obviously advertising is real, but there was something about it, the way it's packaged and the way it was shown that I was like, okay, this is not the venue that is maybe most productive. I mean, first of all, it was like shorter than an episode of Catfish. Like if we're going to like contextualize it in MTV terms and surprisingly (sighs) more lightweight than Catfish itself. Like Catfish has like way more, like comes with way more nuance about race and even just like like insights on people than I thought this did. One thing that I kept going back to, though, when I was watching it is that it reminded me so much of being in college because of the tears. Like people... You start talking about race and like literally like there's tears everywhere all the time. 
And I had totally. to text like all of my old like diversity facilitators. And I was like, you guys have to watch this. It just like took me back 10 years in a way that was both like uncomfortable and amazing at the same time. But yeah, I think that you're really right about like the tone, you know, like, like MTV tone deaf programming. Right. But yeah, you know, like one thing that I wish is that I did know like younger millennials kind of to talk to about this with because mm-hmm. it like for me, it really did not resonate. The things that I did find surprising were like some of the statistics on this, right? Like that, right. that like 50% of young white millennials feel discriminated against. Yeah. I, I mean, like, what? I wanted to like throw my phone at the screen. I was just like, hey, what? Like in like in what world? And I think a point that like Jose Antonio Vargas made that was like really powerful was that it's only at times like this that white people feel racialized, and right. that's what's really hard for them. And I had never thought mm-hmm. about that. I was like, oh, this is this is the first time that somebody's asking you to speak like as an individual for your whole race, <laughs> and right. and surprise, surprise, it's like really hard, or you know, it's like you. Like, white people get to be individuals, but, like, people of color were always some, like, weird monolithic block. And that took, like, a while for for that to just, like, to for me to be clued into that. And I was like, oh, this is why you're so upset. It's like, welcome. I'm not upset about it anymore because it's literally my entire life. Right. And I think that there's this, there's this thing going on as well where it's like, it is about you. You're a white person in the world. And so, like, when I tell you these statistics that say this about white people I'm I'm referring to you like you're part of that even if you don't didn't raise your hand and say I feel discriminated against like white people is a category that includes you and you have to like if not own it speak up and talk about it that is something that I don't know probably not college age but like when I was younger if someone had asked me to do that and think about that it would have it would have changed how I felt about things like I actually think that like the heart of the project makes a certain amount of sense. I mean, I also say this as someone that grew up in like a 95% white town. So, I mean, obviously it's different depending on where and how you grow up as a white person. But it was interesting because also at the screening, he's starting a new project with the LA Times that is called Emerging Us. And it's about it's it's gonna oh, be man, like I, I always pre- I always pronounce it emerging U.S. Thank you. I for did too. That for me. I did too until I went to this <laughs> event. <laughs> um, God, they need better branding, right? But which is which is interesting. This in that sort of idea that emerging populations being sort of like fast growing demographics or like the biggest immigrant groups, which in the U.S. right now are Latinos and Asian American Pacific Islanders. It's like not specifically about black people in that like demographic context felt a little weird in the documentary where he would kind of give stats about you know these groups are growing and like almost framing it like a new phenomenon when someone stood up at the Q&A and was like um you didn't really talk about anti-blackness like you talked about whiteness but you didn't talk about anti-blackness and I mean, he was yeah well, and he was like, yeah, 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 we'll talk about that on our site. But he didn't really address the choices he made in the documentary with regard to that. That is really surprising because that was one of the things that was really striking to me was that like they, you know, like everybody references racism in terms of like white and black, but it's surprisingly very lightweight on anti-blackness. And yeah. it's like no matter what race you are in this country, anti-blackness is at the root cause of why you feel discriminated against in any way, shape or form. 
Yeah. And, you know, the questions that he got after the Q&A, even people who weren't asking specifically about anti-Blackness were saying stuff like we're using the terms black and white. We're not, you know, we're using that framing. And so he said he was like, well, we made this before Charleston, blah, blah, blah. But like, to me, that is not fully. I mean, it's not like, oh, yeah. So this whole this whole anti-blackness thing had just happened. Like, it's like, yeah, no, no, no. it's like anti-blackness <laughs> only happened on the Internet in 2014. Like, right. It's it's happened like, since then. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's that there some of the like vignettes, like the student vignettes were infuriating to me. Like that one girl, Katie, who was the honor roll student, who was like talking about how she doesn't all of the students of color grabbing all of the scholarship money, which is such a like deeply ingrained thing in white students. I am actually shocked that he got her to go on the record and speak that point of view to the camera. I'm like, oh, I'm not shocked because that's like one of the things I think it's also because I worked in like college admissions. That is one thing that I think that like white kids are universally that is a microaggression that they like perpetrate a lot. Like that's like the baseline of a lot of college student tension. Like there's even Mm -hmm. a case at the Supreme Court right now that's basically, you know. Um, around the like affirmative action stuff and and this girl but when I was when I was listening to her talk about it I like again like wanted to throw everything at the television and listening to her friends just like say like hi I'm a person of color and I don't have a scholarship or the actual fact of the statistic that like white people are 40% more likely to receive scholarships like private scholarships right and she's like oh I guess that could change my mind and I'm just like ah I am so it was so frustrating to me and then realizing that like white people hold these like really racially awful stereotypes and still have friends of color like you know anytime they're like their friends would speak it that was really heartbreaking to me you can be friends with white people but in um wesley morris has this amazing review of ted 2 where he just says this phrase that i've been sitting with for like weeks where he talks about the trap door of racism that you can fall down at any point when you're friends with white people and that's all i was thinking about like listening to some of these kids talk I'm like, the, yeah. you're, you're friends with Black people and you're friends with Latinos and you're friends with um, Native kids and you still think, like, these terrible things about them. Right, that you don't even recognize our terrible things about them because you've so disassociated your beliefs about, like, scholarships from your beliefs about your friends who are in the room with you and you can't connect those things to, like, like a bigger experience yeah. and, like, structural problems. Yeah. yeah. But again, like realizing that it's because it's like for the first time, a lot of white people are just like presented, you know, it's like they're presented with like real world facts. Yeah. And you would think that they would have a little bit of empathy and think like, oh, this is how it's this is how it is for like many groups like before. And instead, nobody gets that at all. At the beginning, also, he says something like to the white kids, he's like, oh, you guys don't talk about race, but we talk about race all the time and we talk about you. And mm-hmm. I was like, God, that is so true. It is I mean, so massively true. I'm just like, what are white people talking about? Like, White people do here? talk about race. I wouldn't say that like when white people are in a room with only white people, there's never a conversation about race. But I do think that the tenor of it is really different. And I mean, in the same way, the tenor is really different if it's a space where there are no white people and the conversation is about race. Like, I think that, you know, he made a choice and it's an interesting one. But I'm like, wow, how is this documentary different if it's 
a conversation led by and dominated by people of color? How is it different if it's exclusively white people? How is it different as a mixed conversation? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just curious. I mean, have you it. seen some of the Peggy McIntosh footage of her? I haven't. Like, you really should. Man, Peggy McIntosh is just a fucking G. And the contrast between how, um, like, cajoling Jose Antonio Vargas was, you know? Anytime, like, right. a white person would say something, like, crazy, he was always like, you know what? Many people feel like you. And he was so in this, like, mode of making them feel comfortable about their, like, hateful beliefs. He let his and eyebrows was... do the talking, but his mouth was uh, so nice, the things he said. I know. He's, he's just like, I'm so glad to be sitting at this, like, you know, having dinner at this, like, table of, like, racist parents. Let's discuss. It's part of the problem. It's really hard, like, as a black woman to watch somebody reassure, like, a white person and really guide them through their fucked up ideas that they have. Where, like, kids of color don't have, they right. don't have, uh, nobody, nobody gives them that comfort. And right. you learn, you learn really fast and you learn really hard. You learn when, like, the police stops you and you learn when somebody, like, says a slur at you and, you know, and nobody, it's like people of color are never allowed to be kids. But, like, here are these, like, white kids and everybody's like, oh, they're young, like, maybe they'll change. And I really wish that he had really challenged that part of himself. But because here's a serious really question. Hard to stomach. I 100% agree with all of that. But but you know, is there any way to just given like the very real dynamics of power and privilege to sort of to give that sort of like okay, figure it out for yourself. You have to learn this instantly kind of education about these hard realities to white people. Like I don't know, you know. And I guess that it goes even to the deeper point of like do these conversations like actually change anything at all? You know? Right. And, and I don't know that we know that. Yeah. And that's what, um, you know, again, one of the questions was like, Hey, this seems really cool to talk about race. I talk about race all the time. Glad MTV is doing it. But like, what is this going to do to change structural racism, which we all know is the real problem here. And he was like, read more on emerging us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, there's even like in one of the conversations, the early one about the the guy who's like, I can be gay and southern and right. you know, like whatever. There's this like incredible scene where he and he goes to an HBC, <laughs> he goes to an HBCU, which I'm just like, uh, cannot handle. But he invites his like black friends over to meet his white friends, right? And mm-hmm. one of his friends like makes a black woman cry by like um invoking like the word ghetto and like crazy. That conversation to me was very illustrative of the problem because once the black woman starts to cry, the like white friend, um, I think Cody was his name or whatever, you know, he goes to like hug her and tells her it's all going to be okay. And then he makes this comment of like, oh, people say that black people are ghetto, but I can get ghetto real quick too. And I was like, no, actually, you know, what would have been like really constructive there was <laughs> challenging your friend on the fact that she just made a black woman cry on TV, right. you know, and instead I think- of saying, and I was just like, this is perfect of the limitations of these kinds of friendships and these kinds of interactions and conversations. And I wish, and that was like early on at the beginning. And I was like, yeah, this is not going to go well. Well, and also I had, a, I was wondering at that scene, Jose Antonio Vargas is sitting in the room he had a choice. He could have intervened and been like, wow, like, let's talk about the fact that you just made this woman cry. Or do you feel responsible for that? Like, you know, actually sort of in inserting a little bit of accountability. Again, it's so it's tightly edited to be in an hour. Like, I have it's no tightly idea. edited, right? 
I don't know Jose Antonio Vargas. I don't know what his what he actually believes about anti blackness, you know, and whether he understands the like distinctions between those things. That whole scene, I was still thinking about it this morning. I was like, this like this is why this will never change. Well, and that scene also gave me reality TV vibes where I was like, okay, are you letting this play out because you think that this is good TV and you want footage of a black woman crying to be like part of how this conversation was so hard hitting? Format wise, I don't feel like they instilled a lot of viewer trust that it was like the point was a constructive, you know, a conversation that really addressed the underlying issues with whiteness. Yeah, you know, I'm just like, great. I'm glad that girl got like, you know, race 101, but it doesn't mean that she's going to approve your credit for when you're applying to get a house one day. Like (laughs) all of these like personal realizations are great, but like systemically, I don't know where this is like moving us forward. Ugh. Right. This is so depressing. It's so yeah. depressing. I mean, maybe the, maybe the answer is just like when there's more of us than white people and the tables have turned, everything will be good. Well, and that's sort of his underlying point. I mean, I, I joke about this, but I really think that a thing that fuels like a lot of white racism is that it's this fear of like being in the minority because they know how bad they treat minorities. And they're just like, oh, my God, when it's our turn, they're going to fucking slaughter us. And it's like, totally. well, only time will tell. <laughs> and it's interesting the way that's used in the documentary as well. It's definitely not phrased as like a threat or anything like, hey, white people, you're about to be in the minority. But like, it's definitely has an air of like, this is a reality that you have to deal with. And it's clearly not something I mean, that the stat about like most white people only having white friends. It's like, clearly this is not a reality that white people are dealing with yet <laughs> or like expect to deal with anytime soon. Yeah, no, it is, it is really shocking, but you know, there's hope. I just read this week that California is no longer a majority white state. So that's, great. Oh yeah. That's been, that's been happening. <laughs> I know it's officially on the books now. All right. <laughs> so, we, so we put it on the wins column. <laughs> it's true. State at a time. It's true. Yeah, I know. It's just not to like extrapolate this into pop culture, but it's the same like good feelings that people get from doing this that like fuels the kind of stuff that is behind, you know, a Taylor Swift, Nicki Minaj rift on the internet where like people just, you just don't understand. It's like, yes, you can be a good person. You can have black friends and you can know all sorts of ethnic shit. You know, it's not going to preclude you from taking, like, systemic critique personally and feeling attacked as a Oh, my God. That is verbatim what the column I wrote today is. Not verbatim, but, like, that is the idea. That, like... Oh, my God. It's almost like we're friends and have similar politics. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Um, I'm just going to start putting the rumor out there that I've been ghostwriting all of your pop culture culture and essays. Please the, do. The, the hand behind the hand. Um, Where does influence end and ghostwriting begin? I can't tell you. <laughs> Maybe one day somebody will do for like race something like that 7-Up series from England and it'll be a little more robust. Oh my god, putting in a request for like a 7-Up a of whiteness <laughs> like right now. Seriously. I'm yeah. just being like, you, you grew up around black people. How has your life changed? <laughs> Seriously, yeah. Or like you met black people for the first time when you were 21. How has your life changed? (laughs) No, seriously. Yeah. 
My favorite part of the whole thing, though, was when this one kid, like, Jose Antonio Vargas is like, uh, you know, like, tell me if there's any disadvantages to being white. And this one guy is like, uh, I don't know, that's like asking a rich person, tell me how hard it is being rich. And I was like, thank you. Like, 21-year-old young man, this is actually perfect. It, I do feel sad for these people, but at the end of the day, I'm just like, I don't know, you have, you, you know, like, structurally, you have everything. Like, listen, his rich people metaphor was the right answer. And that is the one that I would have given for a soundbite. But it did make me think about when I thought about the question later, I was like, I the empathy deficit was like the only thing I could come up with that was like remotely a a thing. My friend that I watched it with said she was like, and she's white. She was like, well, our foods are really terribly flavored. And I was like, (laughs) that is fair. I was like, that is that is very fair. It's true. Yeah, I mean, good good answer. Didn't think of that one, but applause. <laughs> I was just, like, disappointed because I felt like even on the, um, God, what is that MTV series? A True Life, like, they do a better job about, like, going deep into subjects than they really did with this. I mean, in True Life, I'm White is a pretty broad topic. <laughs> like, I know, man. Yeah. True Life, I'm a racist millennial. True life, I'm a white person with only white friends. I know. It just like the whole thing, I don't know. It just it made me sad and it made me think it made me rethink a lot of my college interactions. Even college interactions that I had with like some of my really good friends' parents, you know, and just like took me back to all those Thanksgivings where like somebody would say, like, oh, you're not like other black people, or God, mm. not Obama, and just it's like, I, I want to go back to all those conversations now and just be like, man, you made me really uncomfortable in this moment. And I wish that I had spoken up more for myself. I just, yeah, it's like, you just feel really sad about the whole thing. Yeah. White <laughs> Maybe people that's do, better, do better, do better. <laughs> just perpetually do better. Like Try just, harder, do better. Do better, but don't worry, we're taking over. So either way, do better for yourselves. Right. <laughs> or at least make your peace with that. <laughs> oh my god, I'm such a fear monger. It's like not not good at all. Uh, yeah. and it's uh, just like I just yeah, I'm gonna watch some like Peggy McIntosh videos and feel really great about when she makes do people it. cry. Do it. Um all right, should we I wrap hate this ending up? on bummer notes, but like sorry, this is what everybody gets today. Do you ever think about, like, if our episodes were visualized in, like, one mega graphic? Like, this one would be, like, Jose Antonio Vargas holding a natural sea sponge. I'm really hoping that one day, <laughs> yes, I'm really hoping that one day we get the, like, Taiwan cartoon treatment. Oh, my God, yes. That is, like, high on my bucket list of things I want to achieve. I think we, we need to be in, like, some sort of, like, medium scandal, and it will happen for us. I mean, it's going to be the upside of being involved in a scandal, I think. I mean, with some of the crazy shit I say on here, we'll probably be involved in a scandal soon. But it's, God willing. you know, I just like, I just want to see them like illustrate like period blood, like gushing and like crushing all of our enemies. <laughs> just, like that's what I want. Yes, exactly. Taiwanese animators, please get at us. Get We're, at we, us. We have a, we have a scandal brewing. Call your girlfriends, Taiwanese animators. <laughs> what are you doing the rest of the evening? Um, I am, I'm going on like a half reporting trip that's also 
where they're putting me up in a beachside villa. So I'm like both getting my work shit together and like packing a bathing suit. That's what I'm doing. If only you had pink Viagra for this trip. (laughs) (laughs) It's true that they do have alcohol there. So, and it's still in California. Yeah. You can do the the control. That's perfect. Yeah. This will be the control weekend. (laughs) That's great. I'm going to finish watching my K drama and figure out which one of these actors has had surgery on their faces. Oh, great. Great evening. Everybody, everybody has a pointy chin, and I'm convinced they're manufactured. All right. Well, shall we sign off? Yes. Um, you can find us many places on the internet, on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com, on iTunes. Feel free to leave us a review if you feel so inclined. Uh, only positive reviews, please. On Twitter, at callyrgf. And you can also email us at callyrgf at gmail.com we love hearing about your sponges and all sorts of menstrual problems so please let us know and And yeah that's it shout out to our producer slash editor slash podcast witch Gina Delvac you make us sound Gina (laughs) (laughs) Gina D and yeah I'll see you on the internet see you on the internet have a good weekend bye